Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marks and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, you idiot. Welcome, everybody, to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is episode number 202, so we are already two episodes into our, our, our journey to the next 100 episodes on our way to episode 300. Will we get to 300? We're going to find out together. I have no idea. But what I can tell you for sure is we have 202 episodes. And on this episode, we have a very special guest. We have not only not only not only is this a good friend of mine, but he happens to be he's a few things. He's a horror author. He's he's a horror editor. And he is hands down my favorite action hero uh, in the whole goddamned world. His name is Ben Eads. How you doing, Ben? Uh, hey, Martin. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm I'm doing great. I'm doing better. I'll, I'll tell you what. Just talking to you makes me feel safer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do know I charge by the minute, so careful. Oh, no, I I absolutely know that. But you know what? It's it's worth it. It's worth it. Some people <laughs> they they like to get those those ring doorbells, right? And that's fine. That's fine. Whatever <laughs> makes them feel safe. For me. I'm going to spend my money on action hero Ben Eads, and I feel <laughs> That's a wise investment. <laughs> so this is actually your fourth appearance on the show. You've been on the show three times before. So 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 previously, I mean, you were it, it stands to reason you were you you were a guest. You were a guest on the podcast, but at this point, you've been on the show so many times. You're you are now uh, in, in my heart. Uh, you're, you're just a regular contributor, so I'm happy to have you back, sir. Hey, the pleasure is all mine. This is one of my favorite podcasts, man. I love your show, and uh, like I said, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for having me, man. You rock. Well, hey, well, th- well, th- well, thank you for that, Ben Eads. We love having you on. We, so we had you on previously for anybody keeping score. Uh, your first appearance was actually February 2015. That was episode 53. And at that time, you were promoting your your very first novella, your debut book. It was called Cracked Sky. Then, after that, episode number one hundred twenty-two. That was uh, that was actually twenty sixteen, June fourth. Uh, at that point, you were not. Uh, let's see. I don't think you were. You didn't have a book yet. Was that was that around the time that you started editing Tales from the Lake, or was that? Uh, or do you remember? Yeah, that uh, appearance must have been the one for Tales from Lake Volume 4. I think we also had uh, the amazing uh, horror writer and author Damian Angelica Walters on to support it. Yeah, so that one was actually – so that was your third appearance. Again, you've been on the show like like 17,000 times. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, so um, for your third appearance, uh, that was November fifteenth, 2017 – uh, and that one, yeah, that one was uh, Damien Angelica Walters, who was who was terrific. And so I, I did. So well, well my I, initially I was gonna I was gonna start by talking about uh, Hollow Heart with you, but I, I, I it occurs to me that uh, because you live in you live in Florida, uh, a few months ago there was a there was a there was a hurricane coming through. Well, one of one of several hurricanes that seemed to come nonstop anymore. 
how how was that? How how you doing? Following uh, the, I, I don't remember the name because again, there's so many. I can't keep track of the names. What was the last hurricane that came through Florida? Yeah, I can't keep track of the names either. Um, we were, you know, projected to be hit pretty badly, and uh, about a day before it hit. Thank God, you know, things took a turn to the east, you know, so it was going back out into the Atlantic. Um, didn't really hit us that hard, you know. Of course, uh, the islands on the way to uh, Florida didn't fare so well. So, you know, that is never really good. But, yeah, hurricane season every year, if you live in Florida, is <laughs> is a horror. I mean, it really is. It's very, very scary because when Hurricane Irma hit um, back in uh, 2016 – uh, that really, you know, hit us really, really hard. And, uh, you know, the morning after you walk outside and it looks like, you know, Cthulhu has risen and a thousand <laughs> years of darkness has begun, you know, That's crazy. Um, but we got lucky. Yeah. I got really lucky this time. Um, no damage to the house. You know, I think the worst was 30, uh, 35 mile per hour winds, but it was really off the uh, East coast and I'm inland. I'm in central Florida, right outside of Orlando. So, we just caught, you know, um, I think 35 mile per hour winds. That was it, thankfully. And hopefully, knock on wood, next year, you know, all of us will be spared again. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm glad. I'm, I'm definitely glad you're okay because the world needs action, action hero, action star Ben Eads for sure. <laughs> um, and and I know, and you don't have to confirm this because I know part of being a part of being an action hero is keeping a low profile. But I know. That if any any point during the hurricane when when uh, if, when power is knocked down, Ben Eads Action Hero patrols the streets to make sure that the people of Central Florida are 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 minding their minding their p's and q's. Actually, Christian Bale when he was doing Batman, he got the voice from Batman from me. Yeah, I'm just no. kidding. <laughs> no, uh, you're not kidding. No, but again, I, mean, I, I, I get. But I appreciate that you're keeping a low profile. But but yeah, I I, I heard that too. In fact, I think that's on. I'm pretty sure that's on his Wikipedia page. Yeah, when I had the generator going after Hurricane Irma and stuff like that, you know, I knew that there was going to be some looting and stuff. So, yeah, my Japanese sword and I were were up till midnight every night, you know, making rounds, checking on things, because you don't want to get cut in half by one of those things, you know. So No, no, no. no. Pretty yeah. yeah. It also occurs to me, too, just uh, for anybody who this is your first time listening to Ben Eat on the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour, you you likely have no idea what the hell we're talking about. So go back and listen to episode number 122. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm only going to tell you that Ben shares the the most riveting story you'd ever want to hear about about being a real-life action hero. And, and, and not an action hero who's going out looking for trouble. He's an action hero Who's who's doing right by by his community and by his family, protecting his property, uh, all with, uh, with 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 martial arts and uh, and and uh, I'd like to say a sword, but I, I don't I don't know if that probably wasn't part of it, but but it but it could have been because you know how to use a sword. Yep, uh, and uh, that's why people should stay away from my house if they're thinking of breaking into it. So <laughs> about. Almost, you know, I would say a good 17 years, five different styles of Japanese sword fighting. And, uh, yeah, not a good idea. Not a good idea. Don't yeah. recommend it. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. And he also knows 
how to write one hell of a horror story. So, so you've got a book coming out. So, so as we talk right now, or as, as we talk right now, uh, <laughs> today is a, uh, what's today? Sunday, November, what? 24th maybe 24th 24th I'm I'm terrible with dates but I also happen to know not only do you have a brand new book coming out this week but uh, as luck should have it this episode is, is posting the day that the book is coming out that's a that's a not only is that a wonderful coincidence well it's actually not a coincidence I did that on purpose because I love you Ben East and I want to do whatever I can to support you uh, and your and your new book, Hollow Heart, but you've got a new book coming out. So let's let's start with the with the nice general blanket question. Tell me about Hollow Heart. Ah, well, Hollow Heart. Um, my elevator pitch, I would say, is an aberration known as the Architect has finished his masterpiece, a god which slumbers beneath the hollow. Determined to change the world into its own image, with a, with a neighborhood on lockdown and the residents turned into shambling horrors, Harold and his former lover Mary begin their harrowing journey into the world within the hollow. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying, the, <laughs> genuinely. So the so so the writing, the writing in the book mm-hmm. is terrific. This character of thank uh, you. Yeah, no, you're very welcome. The, so the character in this book, or the, or the I, I was going to say the main character. I, in a horror story, I think in my mind the main character is kind of the the monster, the the boogeyman, wh- whoever that happens to be in the book. In this case, it, it's the architect. And so when I was reading your description of the architect, who appears pretty much right at the beginning of the book, mm-hmm. uh, there, there was a couple things that struck me. One, he's he's a pretty genuinely terrifying character which i which i appreciate oh, but thank you. but there, the, he, there the, the way that you describe him physically he has a very um it's it, 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 it's so it's a combination of you describe him very clearly in terms of uh uh he sort of his initial appearance he sort of looks like a regular regular man but then he you know uh he tends to he tends to morph in his uh barbed wire surrounds his face and uh think he, he becomes more and more monstrous and i was struck by how uh how wildly uh, imaginative it was but also how clearly you describe it so i'm thinking to myself well i'm thinking to myself who who who, who is ben eats and what kind of nightmares is he having <laughs> hey slam dunk three-pointer thank you so much for those kind words man that really means a lot to me because yeah i put a lot of work into him so thank you no so where, where the where the, where the hell does this terrifying guy come from because again i'm reading well, it and, I, and i'm impressed well, but i'm also worried about you <laughs> you wouldn't be the first one uh all of my school teachers you know i, I would write after you know, my uh, classwork was done. They would read it and go, I need to see you after class. <laughs> and like, we're very concerned about you. And they'd get my parents on the phone and, you know, we're very concerned about him. Well, well is he writing stuff? Yes. Okay. Well, then leave him alone. <laughs> and and look on the teacher's face was priceless. No, it's, it's actually really weird. This is actually the first thing I've ever written where it's based on a nightmare I had. See, I never remember my dreams or nightmares. You know, I have like three in my entire life that I actually remember. <laughs> and uh, so I had this nightmare, and it was very 
very real. And I remember being inside a trailer and there's people around me and I remember, you know, feeling uh, the way that I felt, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, which was very, very scared, you know, full of suspense, you know, and just scared out of my mind. I knew that the neighborhood was on lockdown. We were moving from trailer to trailer to trailer, looking for supplies, looking for ammunition, knowing that there's this, you know, really bad thing that's coming for us. And as soon as I, you know, reach peak, you know, fear, uh, the front door opened and this, this man who looked like he was you know, on Wall Street back in the 1920s walks in and with a very, very old and thick British accent, you know, he he takes his bowler hat off, bows and says, I'm the architect. And that's when his eyes, you know, I saw his eyes and they had double pupils and they started spinning in their sockets and oil ran down his face. And so I awoke from the dream feeling like I was still there and I wrote the prologue in the next 20 minutes. So I was off to the races with it just like that. And um, I always try, I guess that's my quote-unquote brand, is to really stretch the reader's imagination, take him to some place they've never been before. And, you know, just as how your main character is very, very important, you know, so is the antagonist. And I wanted to give the reader everything I could. I wanted this to be unique. I wanted the architect you know, to be something that, that readers haven't read before, hopefully knock on wood. So I'm really happy to hear the good news from you, man. I'm glad you dig it. No, I, I, and, and I can vouch for the fact that I've never seen a character like this. I've never seen a a, a monster like this. And I, it, so this is something that I, I uh, right now my, my brain is kind of going into the realm of just creative writing in, in general and conversations that I've had with, with writers over the years. And uh, particularly with uh, either young writers or or aspiring authors, one of the I think one of the pitfalls that that aspiring authors fall into, and I absolutely fell into into this pitfall for for, for many, many years, is is feeling like or believing that uh, in in order to be a, 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 a good writer or a great writer or an interesting writer, you had to you had to you had to sort of create some some sort of almost sort of like a superficial author voice that wasn't really you, but it was on, like on the page, you like created a voice that, that didn't actually, that, that didn't sound like you at all. And, uh, and, and in some cases, you know, they're, uh, uh, you know, the, the pitfall is trying to sound like an author you've, you've, you've read and admired, or in other cases, it's just trying to sound like what you imagine a good writer sounds like, because, because the assumption is the, the, the voice in my head doesn't reflect good writing. You know, people don't want to hear that. And so, so the advice that I usually give uh, uh, an aspiring author, if when we have this conversation, is is you know strip away any ideas you have about what great writing is, and just just connect with the voice in your head because because nobody else hears that voice, nobody else sees the stuff that you see, nobody else has your imagination. So if if all you do is just lock into to that stuff in your head what's going to come out on the page is going to be something unique and genuine and very engaging. And, 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 and at the very least, it's going to be something that, that, you know, it's going to sound different to somebody else because you're, you're the only person in the history of the world who's ever had your, your, your point of view of the world and your combination of life experiences. So that's a long winded way of saying that, that you're doing, not only are you doing that, you're, you're doing it, uh, 
to 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 the to the maximum degree because because you had a dream you had a very specific dream that uh that you're the only person in the whole world who's ever had this dream because it's your brain and it's your imagination and because you're you're an author specifically a horror author your first instinct which i think is the right instinct (laughs) was to immediately let's write this shit down (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much man i you know i deeply appreciate the kind words yeah i mean I, you know it was really a no-brainer i just put it through you know because as you you know go along your your journey as a writer you know you want to grow and you that's for me half the fun is growing as a writer and you know um and yeah i mean just moving forward and uh once you have that you know, kind of that filter in your head, you know, you're like, no, that doesn't have enough emotional fuel, you know, no, I'm not really interested in that, you know, that's already been done. But with this one, it was like, wow, you know, I saw, you know, like I said, a neighborhood on lockdown in North Florida, I got friends that live there, you know, I know how to write that area very, very well. I know the people uh, there very, very well, knew how to write them. I knew it took place there. And uh, I knew I had you know, goal because I'm capable of writing crap every day, just like every writer does. <laughs> but with that one, you know, it was like, okay, all hands on deck. You know, let's get this done. And you know, I just couldn't wait to figure out, you know, what was going to happen. Um, you know, what this guy is going to change the neighborhood into. Um, how is my main character is going to deal with that? And how are they going to deal with this other world in the hollow? And how are they? You know, are they actually? Do they actually stand a chance? You know, and there's this damning thread throughout all of humanity uh, since we were, you know, living in caves about 140,000 years ago. Um, that just, for some unknown reason, like I said, it's like a damning thread in the tapestry of the human species where, you know, I, I saw this theme in there um, of what the architect, you know, his, his appraisal of humanity, because he's been around for a while, you know, unlike us, you know. So he can he's got a much better perspective of humanity. His assessment of us is correct, but his solution, not so good. And, (laughs) you know, I I saw that as a theme and I was like, okay, you know, and um, I want there to be some kind of, you know, uh, point if, you know, to the story. And uh, it's really, you know, in this particular novella, Hollow Heart, it takes the main characters everything they've got. You know, they got to conquer their flaws. They've got this internal struggle that they're all dealing with. It's multi-leveled uh, fiction, so there's so much going on, and there's nothing they can do until they can really, you know, get over the things that are holding them back. You know, the cycle of abuse. Um, both my main characters, you know, came home from war, so they brought the horrors of war home with them. Uh, you know, how are they going to live with that? How are they going to get over that? So it was just something that, you know, I just couldn't write fast enough. I mean, my brain was going faster than my fingers could keep (laughs) up. And, um, you know, I just had to throw up the rough draft. And after that it was, you know, drafting it and drafting it and drafting it and drafting it and then sending it off to beta readers and then sending you know, it back and saying, Hey, we need a little bit more space here. Can you give us a bit more description? So much love and respect to the uh, beta readers, and uh, I had a hell of a time writing it. I think the architect was probably the scenes where he's in, and and when my main characters, especially, you know, um, that's some of my favorite scenes with the main characters. But at the same time, you know, um, with the architect as well. I mean, I had a hell of a time writing that damn thing because I was like, 
all right, let me come up with something that I've never read before. <laughs> you know, hopefully no one's ever done before. And, um, you know, that's that's why it was so fun to do, you know. And, and I, I, I'm, so I, I definitely want to talk about uh, your uh, – well, 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 the main characters, but specifically like the non – the, the characters who aren't at the architect, because um, I know I know from experience, both the, both as a as an author who, who's dabbled in in horror, but also as just somebody who who enjoys the the genre of, of horror, whether it's reading a scary story or watching a watching a scary movie. That that um, that the that the payoff, that the the fun of it is generally speaking, it's whoever whoever the boogeyman happens to be in this story, whoever the monster happens to be in this story. So, so in this case, in this case, you know, your you know, the 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 genesis of your story literally began with 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 the architect, with the with the with with the big bat of this story. But in order for a, a, a good horror story to to appropriately work, that monster needs needs a dance partner, and that that becomes whoever whoever your protagonist happens to be, and and so. And so, one one of the things I'm curious about, and 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 I'll, and actually, I'm going to take this like one step back because the reason I'm thinking about this question is because I'm sort of I'm kind of in the middle of trying to work it out myself. So I, I I'm in the middle of writing one book. It, it's a book I've been working on for for far too long, but hopefully it'll be done soon. But in the in the middle of that, I I had an idea for for a horror novel. So so I, I spent I just spent you know whatever ten twenty minutes, just scratching out a, a really really, I wouldn't even call it an outline. I just I was just scratching out some notes, of of a horror story, and uh you know whatever you know, whoever the, the the big bad monster in the middle of it is, and then um, and as I'm thinking about you know the the monster in the middle of the story. It starts, you know, it starts to occur to me. Of course, I'm like, you know, I need, I need, I need somebody. I need, I need, you know, this guy needs a dance partner because I can't, I don't, it can't just be, you know, a big bad monster just going through, just whatever, killing, killing anonymous people. So who's, who's, who's going to be the main dance partner for this guy? What's their purpose for existing in this story? What, you know, what, what, what is it that, that brings them together? What is it about the, these two stories that that uh, that they have to converge and they become the center of it. So, and 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 on my end, I don't have the answer, but these are the things that I'm thinking about. So, on your end, when you're writing Hollow Heart, and now you've got the architect, you've got this really terrifying character. You then have to go that next step, and you alluded to it with you know with the main character. What 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 are the steps that you take to actually create that character? And 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 uh, and I was going to ask. A, 10 more follow-up questions, but I guess I'll start with that. How do you, how do you go about creating that, that protagonist who, who ultimately has to come up against the architect? Well, I let my cat do it. You know, my, <laughs> my cat happened to be in the room that night and, um, she wasn't asleep yet. And I said, Hey, can you help me out here? And she was like, meow. She got on the keyboard, just started typing and I read it. It was actually pretty good. And I, and I ran with it. Um, <laughs> You know, that's a good question. I mean, it was really – I'm a pantser. So for me, it was a lot of racking my head. But, I mean, I knew who the main character was. I knew who the main character was going to be um, because after the nightmare and, you know, you get your mind settled. And, you know, for me, it's always when I'm taking a shower, I get my best ideas. Um, and maybe because that's – because I'm isolated and, you know, you have no 
computer to write on or pen and paper to write on. But uh, no, I mean, the main character came to me very, very quickly. I knew who he was immediately. And I knew that, you know, he was a Marine. Uh, he was a veteran of the Iraq War. And um, he was shot in the back by an insurgent. And that relegated him to a wheelchair. And uh, I knew that he was really in the dark night of the soul, you know, in the the steps of the hero's journey. Um, you know, he was able to break the cycle of abuse. Um, you know, his father was, was very abusive and uh, an alcoholic, and he kind of started taking that route himself, but course corrected. But, you know, he had a lot of flaws, and he had a lot of things that, again, were just, you know, taking – taking him over i mean he was literally possessed with you know not only the horrors of war but you know he's got a teenage son that's visiting the weekend the story happens and um you know he has to deal with connecting with his son and trying to repair the past so you know in a way it's it's very like i said multi multi-level and multi-layered you know even with the characters and uh with harold stowe my my protagonist you know, it's to me, you know, it, it just like I said, I'm a pantser and it just came to me, you know, who he was, uh, how he felt about his life, the defining moments that happened in his life. You know, um, there's some pretty intense scenes in Hollow Heart, you know, where we, you know, show a little, you know, backstory of, of what he had to go through, um, what happened to his father, his mother, um, very emotional, you know, very um, heart-rending. And for me, it was like, okay, well, if someone can go through the darkest that humanity has to offer and, you know, come out of it alive but damaged, are they damaged beyond repair or can they be repaired? So it's very much a story, you know, to me about, you know, redemption. Can someone heal themselves after seeing the worst of humanity? And, you know, can they do that and also face this very, very powerful supernatural antagonist, the architect, who, like I said, has been around for quite some time. You know, can see my protagonist coming a mile away, um, you know. So that's when I realized also, you know, that my other main character, uh, Mary, uh, who happened to be a former lover of Harold, she played just, you know, uh, in a, as an integral role as, as, as he does, and that she's also uh, served her country, and um, she's also got PTSD from, from her experience. And, uh, you know, she's also kind of, you know, in limbo in her life where, you know, she's she's hit 40 and, uh, you know, things are not going so well for everybody. And um, that's when, you know, the darkness falls, neighborhoods on lockdown and, you know, you can expect pretty much, you know, people to act very nice and help each other out and all that kind of thing. Not at all. You know, the shit hits the fan pretty quickly. So um, in creating Harold, yeah, I mean, it was it was very, very fun doing it because, you know, Harold is sane. So that's no walk in the park. Um, but it was also very, very, very fun. I mean, making this person, you know, three-dimensional, uh, multi-leveled, multi-layered, um, you know, 
how he views the world, how he views what he did in Iraq um, is very particular to him. Um, and uh, at the same time, same for Mary. And, uh, you know, again, that cycle of abuse and, you know, him ending it and trying to mend fences with his son, you know, all these things uh, pull at the heartstrings whilst at the same time test them you know, beyond measure because of the antagonist on the other side of that end is using that, you know, to his, this has all been planned and plotted. You know, you, you know that after you read the prologue, so I'm not giving too much away. So yeah, it did take a lot of time, man. It took a lot of time to get them just right, you know, and whenever I would start writing the the next chapter and I got writer's block, I realized, oh, nope, that's not the character. They wouldn't do that. <laughs> and then, boom, it would hit me exactly what they would do. Because mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time before I start writing, meditating on my characters, creating defining moments in their life that have shaped them and made them who they are, what Carl Jung would refer to as the shadow archetype, you know, what do they bring with them, what still casts a shadow over them today. And, um, yeah, it was just hella fun seeing whether or not they could rise to the occasion or not. And, and so when I, whenever I read anything, I, it's, it's, um, it's always difficult for me to, to turn off the, uh, the writer part of my brain and, and just be a reader. Um, and I, I, I suspect, you know, you probably experienced the same thing. So, so, but, but that, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. So like when I'm, so, so when I'm reading, you know, hollow heart and I'm reading about this character, Harold Stowe, uh, you know, the, you know, the two things, you know, the two, two of the primary characteristics about him that, that you alluded to is he's, he's a, a war veteran with a PTSD. And he's also uh, at this point in his life, because of the, the, the war, he's a, uh, he's disabled, he's a paraplegic. And so, and so when I see those two things, that the writer part of my brain lights up and thinks, starts thinking about, man, where do you get this information? How much research goes into it? Or do you just know this information? Do you know somebody like this? And that's what that's what you know feeds the story. Or was it something that you had no experience with, and you had to just start? You had to go out and find the information. So as a writer, when I read when I read a character like this, on the one hand, um, I, I, I you know I am able to to get lost in the story, and I and I, and I was able to, to 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 very easily you know uh, fall into you know Harold's you know into into his. Um, into his brain, to, I, I guess, because I mean the story is is very much coming from his from his point of view. So so writing writing wise, that part's very effective. But then on the other hand, you know the, the you know the writer part of my brain is you know where did Ben get this information? Does he just know all this shit like an encyclopedia, or does he have to go gather it? So so tell me a little bit about that. Well, first, thank you for the kind words. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's just really unfettered imagination. I mean it really is. I remember being. My mother used to tell me stories. She goes, you know, when you were three years old and we lived, you know, on First Street? And I said, yeah. And she goes, there's this 95-year-old woman that lived next door. And you would always be, you know, creating these imaginary things like you were this ringleader of the circus and stuff like that. And uh, you'd play in her front yard. And one day I went over and told her, I'm so sorry. My son's, you know, playing in your garden and stuff. And she goes, oh, no, it's okay. I actually look forward to see, you know, seeing who he's going to be tomorrow. Um, a lot of that was just imagination, but when, as soon as I, I nailed him in imagination, I saw him in, you know, my mind's eye and that's when it came down to, okay, I've got friends, you know, that have gone, um, to war, uh, one in Afghanistan, one in Iraq. 
uh, one of them blew their brains out because of mm. what they saw and what they did. Man. Uh, the stories they told me. And um, so I knew the emotional weight that Harold would be carrying. And, you know, it's – I've met veterans from the war in Vietnam and, you know, same thing, you know. And uh, so that's kind of where it came from and, you know, I uh, I really wanted to, you know, do that character justice. I didn't just want it to be this cookie cutter, oh, look, we, we have another veteran, you know. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to be unique and I wanted him to have, you know, the things – that you know he would be hung up on so talking to my friends and um you know in the past not for you know when i was writing this at all but just being around them you know hearing them talk and um them sharing their stories it was very easy to carve out you know okay what did harold and mary endure overseas you know what did it you know what would that do to somebody and um so that's really where it came from, you know, just again having the attentive ear, listening to people and knowing the cost, you know, of going to war. Um, and also that, you know, one veteran story is going to be different than another veteran story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that, you know, in that vein, it was again creating this unique experience for Harold, this unique experience for Mary. And, um, you know, one that would be a nightmare, you know, for, for anybody that, that would have served overseas. So, you know, and at the same time treating that with respect, you know, um, because, you know, obviously, you know, the, uh, the troops that serve this country are some of the best people in the world. You know, they, they are definitely defending our freedom and, um, you know, we all recognize and, and respect that. So I guess my only real concern was just, pulling it off, you know, correctly and, and in a way that, um, you know, even a war veteran could read it and, and understand and go, okay, yeah, you know, and hopefully I've done that, knock on wood, right? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So also, too, so with the, uh, with Harold being, um, you know, he's in a wheelchair, so so one of the things that strikes me, struck me, you know, as a, as, as you know, as a writer, you know, reading, you know, reading that this story is just, just the details, just the details about, you know, Harold, he's in a wheelchair, he lives in a trailer. And so that, that presents certain, you know, logistical challenges. So, so things like that for me as a writer strike me as, you know, these are great details. These are things that wouldn't occur to me. And also, but, but because they wouldn't occur to me, you know, like I would have to go, I I have to go find, you know, books, magazine, articles, documentaries, people to talk to, just somebody to kind of figure even even that stuff out. So for details like that, were, were those things that that you just happened to, to to have an awareness of? Or was that information that you had to just go find is like just the, the general day to day logistics of, of, you know, uh, you know, living it in a in a wheelchair? Yeah, that was definitely something that, um, you know, I did a little researching on. I mean, I was already aware of phantom limb pain, you know. Um, That was something I actually covered in a short story that Chris Lake Publishing published. Um, And, yeah, I did a lot of research on phantom limb pain. And uh, a lot of it, you know, had that short story that they published. It had to deal with this guy who lost his arm in, uh, in, in a farming accident. And so I was doing research for that. But... 
what I was hearing or reading more, you know, about was people that were, you know, again, dead from the waist down, you know, due to an accident or, you know, getting shot in the spine or something of that nature. And how even though you don't have feeling in your legs, you still do. You know, you have like this, these phantom pinpricks, you know, every once in a while. Um, details like that. And I was really keen on, just like the PTSD, you know, I, I, I really wanted to show the reader, you know, this is what is happening with him, you know, as opposed to just telling it, you know, just show the reader that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting premise of having your main character confined to a wheelchair. And of course, as the story goes on, you know, you're, you're going to see where that goes. The, the other thing, uh, well, there are several things I like about this book, but, but in terms like horror in general, one of my, one of the, one of the reasons, maybe the primary reason that I, that I, that I really love, uh, you know, uh, horror stories or even sci-fi stories or fantasy stories is for me, the, the best ones are the, are, they're, they're the stories that, you know, they, they, they take the genre uh, and, and they use it as a way to to reflect something that that we can recognize in our regular everyday lives. They can they can take something real and almost mundane, and they can represent it. They being you know wh- whoever you know the author or creator is, they can represent this 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 real world uh, idea or issue or or fear, and they can represent it through through the metaphor of of horror or fantasy or or sci fi. So I so so I think one of the things that uh, that you've successfully done is you've you've got this you've got this character you've got this main character this protagonist Harold he's 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 a war veteran uh, he was he was uh, injured in war he now has a disability that he's going to live with for the rest of his life so he's he's physically disabled he also has the PTSD uh, and as you alluded to there are there are just thousands tens of thousands of men and women. Who who live with this very real horror every day of of going to war, coming home. Even if they didn't come back with physical injuries, they have the mental injuries that yeah. that they can become just extremely crippling. So yeah. so for me, it makes it makes sense. Uh, I think within a horror story that you could take a character like that. I mean, you could take that character and you can just write. You can you can you can just write a, a, a just. Uh, a, a literary story about that character and it would still the horror would still be represented so but what i love about a, a good horror story is taking that character taking those fears but then also also uh filtering them through through the through the prism of of horror and and now and now his story becomes joined with this very scary fantastical uh character of of the architect and this 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 uh this this horrific idea of of the hollows and sort of combining these two things which which again you know i i yeah i we've talked about it a, a little bit but but in my mind it, it feels like a, a really natural connection it makes sense to me that that this is the character that uh that, that you would think to create to go along with with this uh this overall story of of hollow heart Oh, thank you so much for the kind words, man. Yeah. I mean, I remember what, you know, my sensei or my shidoshiho back in um, many years ago when I first, you know, joined the dojo, he had a saying, you know, I was smoking cigarettes at the time and he goes, you know, you should quit. I said, well, now's a really bad time. 
he goes, there's never a good time for anything. <laughs> and I think that's another way you could sum up this book is there's never a good time for anything. Oh, you're depressed. You know, you feel emasculated because you're in a wheelchair. You're dealing with PTSD. Tough shit. The neighborhood's on lockdown. And if this thing has its way, everyone is going to turn into what they really are. And you don't want – and then that's just phase one. So, you know, can you overcome that and work with Mary and work with your son, you know, and try to get something going? And like you said via messages, you know, like I said before, I think the main message of this was that, you know, this supernatural – the architect, you know, he's really changed all the residents in Shady Hills into who they really are, into creatures that reflect who they really, truly are. And if they weren't that way, then the architect would not be able to do that. And it says a lot that, you know, Harold and Mary and his son were untouchable in that regard. So you got to ask yourself, well, if that's the case, then what makes them so special? And in a way, you know, the message, and that's, Again, like I said earlier, this damning thread through humanity that goes back, you know, 100 years ago, 500 years ago, back to whenever we were in caves and we just discovered fire. And that was united we stand, divided we fall. And as you read in the prologue, the architect says, let's start there, divide and conquer. You know, let's start there. <laughs> See what happens. It's always worked before. And um, it being very personal to everybody. You know, really was, uh, you know, for me, the theme of are we as a human species always doomed to repeat the past? And the architect is banking on us repeating the past. You know, that's part of his assessment. And it's up to, you know, these these main characters to answer that question if they can. You know, but the reader has to find out only one way, and that's to buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, speaking of the book, a, a lot of the people who who listen to my podcast are uh, a lot of them are authors, but but many of them are are aspiring authors where they where they haven't they haven't published yet, and and so there's there, there's lots of options, but the but the predominant. Uh, uh, binary, we might call it, is that of traditional publishing and self-publishing. Um, in your case, you've uh, published both of your books traditionally. Uh, the first book with Crystal Lake with Omnium Gatherum, uh, and then the the second book, Hollow Heart with uh, with Crystal Lake. And so, uh, uh, I'm, I'm curious. Well, well, I'm I'm curious, but also people listening to the show who who uh, could benefit greatly from this information are curious. Uh, what was what was the process, particularly with Hollow Heart? Because the fact that you've worked with two different publishers, uh, to me, is immediately fascinating because uh, it, it it tends to happen. It's certainly not a rule, but it tends to happen that uh, you know uh, uh, a publisher, you know, when they when they find a, a good, talented author like yourself, they're they're going to look to publish again with that author. So in your case, you've published with, uh, with, with two different publishers. So, so I'm very fascinated to know, uh, you know, what was the process of working with Crystal Lake Publishing? Did Hollow Heart come about after you started editing uh, Tales from the Lake for Crystal Lake Publishing? 
Uh, did you have a deal in place with them uh, ahead of time? Uh, and I'm also curious if uh, if Omnium Gatherum uh, was was either interested in publishing Hollow Heart or or did they even have uh, have a look at it? So I threw like ten questions at you. So uh, answer, <laughs> answer them uh, in any order that you, that you like. Um, it actually, you know, I, I started work on Hollow Heart after the anthology, and um, you know, it took me about I think a year and two months, you know, to really nail it to get it to where, you know, I wanted it. And as soon as I saw Crystal Lake Publishing had a submissions window open, you know, for novellas, uh, I went ahead and submitted it there. Um, you know, I'm really, you know, um, interested in, I've been, wor- you know, really uh, interested in working with Crystal Lake for, for, for some time. And, you know, I had a wonderful time working with uh, Kay Jones's press, Omnium Gatherum, had a wonderful time working with Joe's press, Crystal Lake. And, um, you know, yeah, at some point, you know, I'll write something for Kate again. And uh, at some point, I'll definitely, you know, write something for uh, Joe again. They're great presses. You know, they have a great team. They're very passionate about what they do. And for newer, for aspiring writers and new writers out there, you know, I've I've been a mentor uh, for the Crystal Lake Mentorship Program for quite some time. And what I find from aspiring writers or writers who just finished writing their first story is they just want to get that thing published. They don't care. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, that bites them in the ass and they realize they're not dealing with a reputable press. They're not dealing with a professional press. Um, they have the rights to their story for the lifetime or something of that nature. So I, I would say, look, man, kick the tires of the press before you submit. Go to their website. First thing you see, okay, if you do not recognize who they're publishing, that's a red flag, Okay. Second, if they're publishing some of the best writers out there, awesome. Contact a few of them. Ask them what their experience was. There's nothing unprofessional about that at all. Um, And at that point, you know, kick the tires, man. Uh, Hit up writers that have been published through them. Um, Ask them, you know, hey, I'm interested in submitting. And if you don't mind, you know, be very courteous and professional to these people. Um, You know, would you... I'm thinking of submitting my work to them, you know, would you mind sharing a little bit of your experience? You know, was it positive, negative, all that kind of thing? And writers are very different, you know, so one writer will not want to work with a press for one reason that to another writer seems pretty stupid. Um, So it really depends on what you're looking for out of a press. But if you're looking in the small and medium sized press world, you pretty much have to, you know, go with what they have, you know, and for me, I'm always trying to climb the ladder, you know, and uh, make it, get an agent, get to New York, you know, make the dream happen. And uh, so that also has really influenced, you know, who I want to work with and things of that nature. Um, you know, if if you look at what agents are looking for, Chris Lake Publishing is definitely one of the presses that, you know, will definitely get their attention. Um, so that's what I'm working on right now is, is working on the next big project, which is going to be a novel, and try and shop it that way and see what happens. Um, but to answer the other questions, I think the preparation cannot be overstated. You know, I mean, you really have to do your research. You know, if this were 2008 when I first started submitting work, there were a hell of a lot more presses out there. I mean, they were paying, you know, 20 cents a word. 
And I think over a two and a half year period of time, the majority of them all went the way of the dodo. Mm. It's almost as if small presses are doomed to fail no matter what, which is why you got to stick with ones like Omnium Gatherum or Crystal Lake Publishing where the owner has this unbridled passion, you know, for publishing and they're never going to stop, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and stick with them, you know, stick with people that, you know, are going to be in the game long enough you know, all too often I've heard a lot of my writer friends say, oh, well, this press, you know, that published my book is no longer around. They published my book. I want my book to be available, but no one else will accept it because it's been published. So there's so many problems that can happen to you. And I would say get your publishing credits and then get, you know, get to New York, get an agent, try to get a, a really good book contract with a big New York press um, and see where that takes you. And what was the what was the process? So once you, uh, so once you submitted to, to Crystal Lake Publishing, um, well, actually, we'll, we'll even take a couple steps back. So, so, so you alluded to you know the, like the process of, of getting a literary agent. So, so there, there's a lot of people listening who are who, who they, they they might very well be familiar with that. But, but, but generally speaking, you know that like that path is, you know, you you get a literary agent, um, and, and if you don't have an agent already then you generally have to write a book first and then you have to make the book as good as you can make it. And then you shop for a literary agent. And then that agent, you know, based on the strength of your book, they feel like they could, they could sell it and they could make some money off of you, which, and and, and that's not, that's not to sound like, like nefarious. That's, you know, that's their job. They think right. they can make some money off of your book. So then they pick up the book, they pick, they pick up you as a client and then they start shopping that around. And then, you know, the best case scenario is you, is, is they do sell your book to, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the big five, uh, you know, you know, New York publishers, and you, and you get and you get a nice contract out of that. Um, it, uh, with, with Crystal Lake Publishing, you alluded to them having a a, 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 a window, a window, a submission window open uh, that um, that you use to submit uh, Hollow Heart. So, so, so in that vein, that you know, they're a publisher, but they're also they're also willing to work with authors who. Uh, who don't yet have agents. So, so tell me a little bit about uh, what that, what that process was like. Oh, I mean, it was amazing. You know, I mean, well, first off I was like, there's no way they're going to accept this <laughs> because I saw, I saw Joe post on Facebook. I think they got like 600 and some odd submissions or wow. something like that or 300. I forget the number. And I'm like, there's just no way in hell, you know, because my ego is not in it. You know, I mean, I take my work seriously, but I don't take myself seriously. And, um, you know, I threw my ego out of this a long time ago and anything that I've written that's like two months old, I think it sucks. And I'm like, oh, they're, they're just never going to accept this. And so when I got the email, yep, but you know, we need to work on some stuff. I was like, yay, I was over the moon. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it it was really cool, man. I had a great experience working with uh, team Crystal Lake, you know, Monique is such a great editor. She's the editor in chief there. And she knows how to squeeze out, you know, every extra drop of awesome out of a story. And for writers, you know, who may have had a few short stories published, but not long fiction, or you've never had anything published. um, When it comes to final edits with a short story, the editor might have a few notes here and there. And you're going to be able to implement those fixes in less than 20 minutes. When it comes to long fiction, uh, you got a lot of work to do. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you have to perform and you have a time limit 
And, you know, that's when the rubber meets the road. And every day you got to produce gold. So, you know, be aware of that coming in and that it's not that they accepted your story because they felt bad for you um, because that's what the notes are going to look like. <laughs> that's, that's just standard fare when it comes to working in final edits. And, um, you know, there's a lot of interviews by writers, John Shirley, Joe Hill, where they talk a lot about, you know, in the back of their books, you know, how amazing the editors were that they worked with at the press and really made them, you know, perform to their best abilities. And you're too subjective to the work, you know, and, and they're obviously objective and they can pinpoint inaccuracies, inconsistencies, or let's draw this out more, you know, we can really make the scene more effective by doing this. So it really is kind of like a collaboration. That's another mark of a good press is when the final edits feel like a collaboration mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, oh, you use the word that too much, you know, <laughs> or a little bit more showing, less telling. That's all I've got to say. You know, no, I mean, a real editor is going to take a microscope to the work. And that's exactly what Team Crystal Lake did. Same thing Kate Jones did at Omnium Gathering. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's a challenge. And, you know, you're going to feel like, oh, my God, I can't do this. But you can, you know, it's it's all it's all within your hands. So don't be afraid uh, when that happens. It's it's a mark of you moving forward, you know, so. And and ap after a book is published, any book, but in this case, you know, Hollow Heart, um, w one of the, the the biggest, most one of the most challenging but most important parts of the process is then you know marketing the book, promoting the book, making people aware of the book, and just trying to get some traction with it. And so, of course, you know, I don't think it's any secret that that uh, that aside from. Uh, you know, us being friends and me being a fan of your work, that's why you're on the show. But in, in a much more uh, pragmatic sense, you're also on the show this week in particular, specifically because, you know, you're you're promoting Hollow Heart. And I want to help you promote Hollow Heart because, um, well, A, because I, I want it to be successful. But B, as an author, I, I recognize how challenging it is just to get any sort of traction, to get to, just to, to get any sort of awareness for, for yeah. your books, you know, when, when I published my first book, Inside the Outside, in 2011, uh, on the one hand, I had no I had no clue what how, how to go about promoting or marketing at all. It's it's almost sort of this. Um, it, it, it felt like this this uh, this well known secret that uh, that no other authors had bothered to mention to me that that once your book is uh, published, oh oh by the way you now have to make people aware of it and nobody knows how to do it. So good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, yeah, yeah I, I, so, so, so it was, it was like this uphill battle, but I was, what, what I found at that in 2011, what I found was, was, you know, I just, I was just very diligent and proactive and I reached out to, to book bloggers and other authors. And, and if you had a website, can I do a guest post for you? Can I do an interview on it? Um, can I get a review for my book? And, and, you know, and it was, and I, and I found that if I was diligent enough, then, you know, w whatever the percentage will make it up, even if 10% of the people I reached out to said, yeah, it slowly, but surely turned into something. And now uh, it's not quite 10 years later, I guess it's about eight years later, what I'm finding with my most recent book, which is a, a Dolph, the unicorn killer and other, other stories. It's a short story collection. I'm finding that even things that worked for me eight years ago 
don't seem to be working anymore. And it's as hard as yeah. it was to get any sort of traction eight years ago, it feels exponentially harder today. And and I don't yeah. know what the answer is, but uh, I just kind of want to get your thoughts, your perspective on just in general, the, the, the challenges of promoting and marketing and just trying to get any attention on your books. Just go ahead and whoop my ass and get it over with. I'd I'd, I'd rather take an ass beating than than do it. And I think, <laughs> I mean, I'm be, yeah, I'm being serious. I mean, it, it's it's very difficult. You know, I've been doing this. I would say, you know, submitting my work for about ten years as well. And um, yeah, I mean, it was a very very different world. You know, back in 2008, we had in terms of you know how many presses we had versus now, and um, you know, it's just very difficult. What I saw was, you know, people that were, you know, it's okay to be popular. I mean, it's okay that people love your work and, you know, people extol it and share it on Facebook. Nothing at all wrong with that. God knows I share a lot of uh, people's work that, that I love on Facebook all the time. But I noticed that there were these clicks and that there was this high schoolish popularity uh games that were being played also political games mm. that were being played which they were using to sell their work and sure you know i could play those games too and sell more copies but i would lose all my dignity and self respect <laughs> i want people to buy my book and should i ever have any measure of success i want that based on the merit of the work not Whose ass am I kissing? What click am I a part of? There's so many quid pro quos in this business. And I think, honestly, for the aspiring writers that are listening or writers that just have a few short stories published, you know, just know this. You know, there is a dark underbelly to this business. Um, but know this. For those people, it's a flash in the pan, and then their success is going to go away. And I'm not going to name names either, but they appear and they're like really good for a year and then they disappear and you never hear from them ever again because in the community, enough people figure it out and they go, okay, so you vote traded. That's how you got there. Okay, great. So not doing any of those things, you know, I, I don't look at it as, as a competition, allows me to keep my sanity, my dignity intact. You know, I have a good friend of mine who's also, you know, a successful writer. And, um, you know, he was, you know, seeing a lot of these writers, you know, coming in that were making $50,000 a year. And he would ask one writer, you know, if you don't mind me asking you, you know, how did you go about doing that? And so he heard the story. He tried it. It didn't work. And then another person would come in, you know, $75,000 in sales in one month. And this one did it self-published with no backing whatsoever. And he asked him, well, how did you do that? And it was a total, totally different plan. And he tried that plan, and it didn't work. So like you said, yeah, what is going to work for one person is not going to work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And you just got to keep throwing spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. And that'll work for you. And what I found for myself is that in the community, the horror community, as well as the readership that I have – Everyone knows that I'm honest. Everyone knows that, you know, I'm sweating. I'm bleeding for them. You know, I'm putting my best foot forward. I'm really trying to grow as a writer. I'll do what I did last time. And that I'm going about this honestly without 
dragging politics into it without having to, um, you know, join the popularity game where you're part of these little cliques that don't last very long at all. People know me for who I am. My reputation speaks for itself. I stand alone, and I think that's really helped me. And I think moving forward, um, you know, if you are interested in writing or you already have something published and you're looking to publish more, uh, and you're that kind of a person and you're not a jerk, then show it. And, you know, that's going to help you. It's really going to help you because readers, believe it or not, uh, they want to, you know, before they want to buy your book, they're going to look at your Facebook page. You know, I've, I've heard so many readers tell me that they didn't buy this writer's book or that writer's book because he or she, they saw them, you know, using politics to sell their work. There's this group that they kind of are in that <clears throat> is always publishing the same people every single year. And then, you know, that their back gets scratched by them doing this for this writer. And they stay away from those people. Eh. So readers are very keen on that. And readers can catch on very quickly. So, you know, that's why I'm happy that, you know, just by me being myself and going on the merit of my own work alone, you know, I've gotten where I've gotten. God knows I probably would have gotten further along had I joined the dark side <laughs> of the force. But, you know... I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I did that, you know, so. How did you know I was having a Star Wars marathon yesterday? (laughs) (laughs) I love the line, you know, the the darkness rises and the light, you know, rises to meet it. It's true. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is you're going to be tempted. You're going to have people contacting you. Like I back in 08, you know, I just got lucky and my second short story was my first professional sale. And then all of a sudden everybody wanted to be my friend on MySpace. This is before Facebook came around. <laughs> right. And it's like you got to be very, you know, suspicious of, of, of things like that. They're not wanting to be your friend. They're just wanting to know whether or not they can get in to that press if they know you Mm -hmm. and they're kicking your tires trying to figure out who you are can you be manipulated hey i'm offering you this ben can you give me something in return my answer (laughs) was always no you can go fuck yourself and there have been people in the past not me i'm not making this up i'm not (laughs) hiding myself but yeah there's people in the community that uh have really gone out of their way to just become, you know, and actually harm people and for their reputations and everything else. And then you hear, you know, from somebody that went to a convention, yep, they got their ass kicked. And it's like, well, good for them. Hopefully that'll wake them up and make them change them, you know, have them look at themselves and go, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be an asshole anymore. How about that? You know? (laughs) So it's kind of hard to escape. No one needs me. You know, there's always other people out there. You know, and we have some pretty evil, nefarious people in this community. And, uh, you know, it's always uh, awesome to see karma come and bite them right in the ass. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I, I for one, am uh, very happy that we have Ben Eats not only in the in the writing community and in the horror writing community, but uh, in the in the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour community. So. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough. I honestly, I could sit here and talk to you all day, but, uh, but yeah, at some point we, we have to, we have to get back to, to, to the work of, 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 of writing and, and trying to scare people. So uh, we will go ahead and wrap up now, but, but before we wrap up for good, 
uh, if there's any 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 last uh, messages you want to put out with regards to uh, Hollow Heart, as well as how anybody could uh, get in touch with you if they if they have uh, more questions about uh, writing or they just want to they just want to just uh, ask you about your ask you about your other books. Sure. Uh, thanks, Martin. Um, they can go to www.bennysfiction.com. You can sign up for my newsletter, and you'll be up to date on everything. Um, I've also got a prize giveaway for Hollow Heart um, to to basically, you know, bribe people, I guess. But um, <laughs> you know, uh, I've got quite the giveaway this year. So whoever uh, gets on Facebook, Twitter, retweets, reshares. Um, posts the most about Hollow Heart will win a uh, first edition hardcover of Cujo by Stephen King that is signed by Stephen King. Nice. The worth of that on eBay and in private trading circles, which I happen to be a part of, the book's worth over $500. So if you really want, you know, if, if you love my work, and, you know, if you like the premise of it and, you know, when you can read in, inside the book on Amazon, if you like what you read or if you, you know, want to go ahead and move forward, then, yeah, you know, if you're the one sharing the most, then you get that. We've also got other prizes. You know, we've got I've got a signed number limited edition of Josh Mailerman's Bird Box that we'll be giving away. I've got some Funko Pop Horror Pops to give away. Um, also, um, you can you can go over to Crystal Lake pub.com and click on author central uh, they have chris lake publishing has a so for all you aspiring writers or writers out there or even writers that have won awards uh, we have a mentorship program um, and you'll be you know uh, mentored by joe maynard the ceo of chris lake publishing uh, monique as well the editor-in-chief uh, stephanie frank and the amazing Kenneth W. Kane, and me as well. And <laughs> each of us tackle different things, you know, kind of like Joe handling the business end of this and, you know, how to make a splash and what to expect and what presses are looking for. Um, so, yeah, check that out as well. And, um, yeah, again, it's a race for whoever's going to share it the most. We're going to have some Facebook Live events coming up too, so I'll be giving away some some signed copies of that as well. And uh, so, yeah, hopefully uh, – that's enough to motivate people. I hope <laughs> <laughs> that's outstanding, man. I mean, talking about you know, marketing and promoting, you're doing all the right stuff. So that's that's awesome. So so once again, uh, Ben eats. Congratulations on on Hollow Heart, uh, and congratulations on just being uh, uh, on being my my favorite action hero and an all around <laughs> all around nice guy. I really appreciate you being on the show, man. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And you rock, sir. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. And also thank all of you uh, who took the time to listen to this episode. I know Ben appreciates it. I certainly appreciate it. And until next time, I will see you on the other side. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs>